0: All right. Good morning. Good to see you today on this uh Memorial Day weekend where we pause to think about those who gave their lives for our freedom. And so we are certainly thinking about that today. This weekend. So so good to have you here today. Well, did you know that that every person uh in here today is a leader? Did you know that? You may not think that's the case. You may think, well, pastor, you know I'm not much of a leader. I'm more of a follower, but, and you might be right that in most spheres of life, or some spheres of life, that is the truth, but somewhere, someone is following you, or they're watching you, or they're taking notes, mentally at least, hopefully they're not taking physical notes as they watch you, but uh, that would be a different situation altogether, uh, but they are watching you. There's a story of a little boy one time uh, who said to his mother, can I go outside and help my dad uh, put snow chains on the car? And the mom said, I don't know, that's a pretty big job. Do you know how to do it? And he said, yeah, I've been watching Daddy do it for many years now, and and uh, I know how to do it, and I know all the words. <laughs> so always remember that there are those who are watching you and copying you are all leaders. They know what we say, and you can see it. If you have children or grandchildren, you, you'll see certain things. You'll see how they'll say things that you used to say or do things that you do. And, and it seems like my kids pick up my worst habits. I wish they start picking up my good habits, right? But they, they come up with the worst ones, it seems like, sometimes. And this section of Nehemiah we're looking at today, we're, it shows us some actions that spiritual leaders perform. After Nehemiah and the Jews successfully rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem, their attention turned to establishing spiritual leadership, which is what we're looking at today today we're going to look at just a few verses of chapter 7. Chapter 7 is a a long genealogy, so we're not going to go through all um, 73 verses, amen. So it's not going to be a 73-verse sermon. We are going to go through uh, the first six that set up the genealogy and show us why there's a genealogy there. Verse 1 says this, Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers... The singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem. For he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Verse 5. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, Verse 6, he says, These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Father in heaven, as we continue to worship you today, we do pause to think about those soldiers that have paid the ultimate price. They've given their life for us and defending their country and fighting for our freedom so that we can worship here in freedom. So that we don't have to worry about uh, worshiping underground or in secret or believing what we say or or saying what we believe in public Lord and and, and knowing what our faith is. We thank you for those that uh, went to the battlefield and never came home, who gave their life. And so we thank you that they did so so we could have a country that allows freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, freedom of worship, all those things. So we thank you for that, Lord, that we are blessed to live in a part of the world that we can do that. And we think about those brothers and sisters, Father, all across the world who do not have those. Those brothers and sisters of Christ who have to, who, uh, who have to meet in secret, who are risking their life to confess the name of Jesus every day of their life. So let us never take for granted this blessing to live in this country, Lord. Father, we, we, as we look at this verse today in this passage, that you would show each and every one of us how we can do the type of things that Nehemiah's leaders did. And that you can impress upon our hearts the way to lead those who are watching, those who are looking, those who are paying attention. Father, I pray, Lord, that my words today are yours, that you fill me with your spirit, we have a place to live, take the reproach away from Israel, bring glory to God for doing so. The first thing he does is building the wall. And now, less than halfway through the book, his goal was accomplished. He finished it in 52 days. It was a miracle, amazing thing. But now he has other things to do. He's built the wall, so now there's other things to do. What, what does he have to do, right? Other duties. Well, he has leaders who have specific duties, and he names them. First, we have the Levites. So who are they? Well, they were the priestly class of the tribes of Judah. You were born a Levite like you were born in every other other tribe. And they served as priests or, more specifically, priests at the temple. And their duty was to offer sacrifices for the sins of the people. And then through their sacrifices, they actually were the ones who, who, who cut the throat of the bulls and, and the goats and, and sacrificed these animals. Uh, through their actions, they enabled forgiveness of sins to occur in the community. So the Levites were, were not just the priestly type people that we think of today. That maybe you go to them and you confess your sin or something like that. Uh, you confess your sin through their actions, through them making sacrifices. They were probably in very good shape. Their job was a physical job. It was almost like being a butcher. That's what they did. Worship was literally shedding of blood. That's what it was. And so the priests were probably your, your, your guys that, that whether they were born strong or not, they became strong. And in fact, at age 50, they retired. It was a pretty good retirement plan. age 50, they were like, okay, you've done this long enough. You've done this for 30 years. Now, now the, the, the other Levites, the younger ones, will, will uh, continue to, uh, they will take your place. Then we have the gatekeepers. Who were the gatekeepers? Well, they were, they were a, a subsection of the Levites who guarded the entrances of the temple. They, they protected its integrity and purity. These, these are almost like soldiers who would, who would be right there and, and not allowing anyone to come in. They were in charge of overseeing the furniture and the supplies that went into the temple. They were the security force. And so the Levites were not just priests that we think of as today. They were people who had real jobs, often physical jobs, and they protected the people of God. Then we have the singers. He talks about uh, establishing singers, and their central role was to simply lead people in corporate worship. We have that in our, both our services. We have a, a band that does this. They lead us into worship. You know, whether we feel like singing or not, they're trying to get us to sing. We need to sing whether we feel like it or not. You know, whether you think you can sing or not, you are commanded to sing. And so they get us, they help help us kind of get in the mood, right? That's why we want them smiling when they sing, right? And we have a choir in the same way, the 830 service. They, They get us, they try to help us, prime the pump a little bit, right? And just as these spiritual leaders in Nehemiah's day, just as they were tasked with protecting the people from outside threats, so spiritual leaders in our day are tasked with protecting God's people from outside threats. Look at Ephesians chapter four. Bible says, and he gave these functions in the church. He gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Why? Verse 12, to equip the saints, to equip the saints, to equip us for the works of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Spiritual leaders, they protect God's people and they they protect them by equipping us, equipping us by preaching, teaching God's word. If you had preachers and teachers who did not preach and teach God's word, they're not protecting you because you're not hearing what you need to hear. You're not having God's word come into your heart. They're not protecting you by, unless they lead you to praise God with appropriate songs. This is why what we sing, they protect you by encouraging you to give your resources to God's church. All these spiritual disciplines are needed for you to be protected from Satan and to be protected from his outside threats. Now, in the New Testament church, we have two offices. We have the pastors, whose primarily role is to shepherd the flock. We have the deacons, who they primarily serve the flock. We also have people who are gifted in evangelism and teaching, as Ephesians mentions. And all of these leaders help protect the people of God. But in Nehemiah, they're not just taking care of the spiritual needs, as we see. It's a very real, literal taking care of the people's needs And many times, meeting a person's physical need helps the person spiritually. Think of a time where you or someone you know was really hurting physically. Maybe you had a a surgery. Maybe you had an accident or something like this. Physical pain, physical problems can affect your spiritual life. And someone ministered to you, called you, prayed for you visited you, helped you, it can increase your faith. It can help you spiritually as spiritual leaders protect God's people. That's number one. Number two, spiritual leaders also fear God. Spiritual leaders fear God. He says in verse two, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem for he was a more faithful, and God-fearing man than many. Now there's a disagreement among scholars as, 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 as this verse is referring to one or, or two men. In the Hebrew, uh, you can make a case that this word, this name Hanani or Hanani, was kind of a nickname for the name Hananiah, right? Just like uh, John David, we call him Johnny, <laughs> right? Maybe Hananiah, they called him Hanani, I don't know. Uh, but in the, in, the, in the question is, why would there be two men, In charge over the entire castle. But nevertheless, all English translations include this as as if it were two men. In any regard, Hanani was at least the brother of Nehemiah. And so at this point, Nehemiah is either explaining why his brother is over the castle or why by this other man named Hananiah is over the castle. And the qualities he gives are the same, that the person, the man, or the men who are over the castle are someone he trusts. And he trusts this person because he says they are more faithful and God-fearing than many. I think it's interesting that he mentions that. Didn't say they're perfect. Didn't say that he's the most faithful brother in the city. He just says more faithful than many. More faithful than many. More God-fearing. Look what the Bible says about the fear of the Lord. When we see this word, the fear of God, it Causes us to ask, what does that mean? Look at Proverbs 1.7. It says this, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Real knowledge happens when you understand who God is. Real knowledge occurs when you understand who God is versus who you are. Now the word fear, and you might have heard this before, in the Hebrew can have all sorts of different, different connotations. It can mean literal terror, like a fearful terror. It can mean that the object you're looking at is just so awesome that it it frightens you. It can also mean that something's just respected. And many times you'll hear people say, this is this idea of reverence or respect for God. I think when the Bible talks about fear of God, I think it's talking about all those things. Isaiah, when he he saw God face to face, there was terror in his eyes. Not that God was scary, but he was scared for his life because he was a sinner in in the same area as a holy God. He was fearful for what would happen to him. And, of course, God made Isaiah clean in that moment. We have this God that is holy and transcendent and has created the universe, created the world, all these things. We are like little sands on the seashore compared to God. We should have not just a reverence of who God is, we should have some type of fear that he is so large, so, so just massive and transcendent that it should bring us in awe of who he is. And then furthermore, it should bring us in all of who he is that he also knows the number of hair on our heads. And he loves us so much that he sent his son to die a death that we should have received took our judgment on the cross so that whoever places their faith in him may have everlasting life. So I think when the Bible talks about fear, it's just talking about all those aspects of fear. It's very similar to how I believe the parent-child relationship should be on some level. I think each child should have a healthy fear, not, not, not a, a terror, but a healthy fear of their parents. You know, children are smaller than adults. You realize that, right? They're small. My little John David's like this tall, right? And he has a little bit of a temper sometimes. Don't, you know, I don't think he gets it from me. I don't know where he gets it from, right? he's got a little, a little temper at times. And he, he didn't get something, and, and, uh, and he, he'll, uh, he'll just act out, right? And my grandmother will say this because he's spoiled. <laughs> right? We spoil him, and I'm sure we do. But he, he gets mad, and I told him I couldn't do something the other day. He started knocking things down and everything. But he knows that because, because he's small, he knows that all i got to do is pick him right up and put him over my shoulder. There's nothing he can do about it. He understands that his dad is bigger, his dad's stronger than he is, right? So he understands intuitively this, he knows that, that there's just so much he can get away with, that at some point he's gonna go too far and then there will be discipline. Now, he's not afraid of me. In fact, he wants to be with me. One of his favorite things to do is climb up my lap and sit in our chair. He'll He'll say, sit chair with daddy. Sit chair with daddy. So obviously I'm safe, but he also knows that there's discipline that can occur if it needs to. When we realize and recognize that there's a difference between who we are and who God is, it changes how we look at life. If we don't believe in a God, then we're going to look at life completely different. If we think God is some distant God that is just up there or just hit start on some kind of simulation and we're just living in it or something like that, we would look at it differently. But if we know God is this massive being that's transcendent that we can't comprehend, but also loves us and wants to commune with us and have a relationship with us, it changes how we view the world. These men feared God, and because they feared God, he put them over the entire castle. Look at Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen says. Ecclesiastes, again, written by a man who had done everything. He did everything he could do the richest, wealthiest man. He built everything. He lived life to the fullest. He had all the pleasures a man could want. And he said that they're all meaningless. And at the end of the Ecclesiastes, after he he has literally done and been everywhere you could be, do everything you could do, this is what he says. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He says this is what it's all about. At the end of the day, this is what it's about. Do you fear God? Do you revere God? Do you keep his commandments? That is the whole duty of man. This is what we're looking for in a spiritual leader. They don't have to be perfect. They won't be perfect. They have to be faithful. They have to be trustworthy. That's the biggest success of being a Christian is every day getting up, And say, Lord, help me be faithful today. One step after the other. One step after the other. This is what we're looking for, a faithful, trustworthy person. Number three, spiritual leaders also use common sense. Spiritual leaders use common sense. Look at verse 3. You'll love this one. I, I I love writing this verse out. Common sense. Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. Here's what he's saying. He says simply, at night, you keep the gates closed. Why? Because that's when people try to come in and and rob. Because, you know, robbers are going to go at night because you can't be seen. Obviously, there's less light out. So, at night, keep the gates closed. At the daytime, when the sun rises, open the gates, but still have guards. Now, it's common sense, but he still has to explain to them to do this and when to do this. And he still has to be given a directive to do it. And much of leadership sometimes is common sense. So an example of me showing spiritual leadership in my own life, a very uh, small example is if, if I am with my son, quickly discovered that the ballpoint pen they took up there would not work in zero gravity, won't work up there. And so to combat this problem, NASA scientists spent a day developing a pen that'll write in zero gravity. The pen also could write upside down, which I didn't realize it couldn't happen, but apparently it can't happen. Uh, the, the pen wrote, wrote underwater, which I don't know, there's no water. I don't know why they need that space, but it writes underwater. It could write on almost any surface, including glass, and at temperatures ranging from below freezing to 300 degrees Celsius. Now, if you're writing... A pen at 300 degrees Celsius, you're probably not alive, but anyway, that, they, they still built that, right? The Russians simply used a pencil. <laughs> right? Can you imagine that? Well, we got to come up with a better pen, Russians said. We'll bring a pencil next time. Some of the best decisions we can make as leaders are ones that just make sense. Amen. Spiritual leaders uh, use common sense. Nehemiah did it. Hey, open the gates in the daytime, close them at night. Number four, finally, spiritual leaders never stop leading. You can't decide you don't want to lead anyone anymore. Even if your children are grown, you can't decide. You know what? You're on your own now. They're still going to look to you. They're still going to see what you're doing, how you act, how you live. You never stop leading. Look at verse 4. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few. Why? No houses have been rebuilt. So I don't know who's living there, but they don't have a house apparently. You have this large city, pretty much empty. This wall has been built around it in 52 days. But it will not be a truly thriving house or, or city until houses have been rebuilt and people move back into town but they won't move back into town until they feel safe. So what did you do? Verse five says this, then God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first and I found written in it the names. Verse six, these were the people of the province who came out of the captivity of those exiles, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his town. So Nehemiah does this. He looks back at the history of the people. He, knew, he knows who's moved back in already. And he knows who's out there to try to convince to return. To return. He can now systematically enroll and recruit those people To move back into the city, he can look out, he can see who they are. And I can imagine it right now, he called these people up and how we would do it now. Hey, years ago, your family was forced out of their homes in Jerusalem. You have a life now, but come back to Jerusalem, rebuild a house, be part of God's people, covenant community inside these walls. It was a recruiting pitch. He needed people in the city. It's Memorial Day weekend. And so church attendance is a little bit less because people go out and travel. And I heard it's been a record-breaking travel for this Memorial Day weekend because people have been locked up for, in their house and scared to go for so long. But March of 2020 last year, we were doing everything normal. And then all of a sudden the pandemic hit and people were attending church. And there's some people we haven't seen since. Now I'm not talking about just online, I'm talking about completely. As leaders, we need to start thinking about who those people were. Who was it that has the habit? If you go every week, you start going, through, start not coming, three, four, five weeks, you get in the habit of not coming. And then it seems awkward to come back, because you know people don't ask, where have you been? So you don't, you don't want to come back, right? That's the way it is. But we have a job to continue to reach those who have not come back, And those who still need to know who Jesus is. You know, he had a vision to build a wall. In the process, he became the governor. And now he's filling up the city. You never know what the vision that God gives you will lead to. All you want to do is build a wall, and now he's recruiting people to move back into Jerusalem. You never know where God will take you if you act on your vision that God has put in your heart. Warren Wiersbe says about the people, he says, the important thing is not to count the people, but to realize that these people counted. In leaving Babylon, they did much more than put their names on a list. They laid their lives on the altar and they risked everything to obey the Lord and restore the Jewish nation. They were pioneers of faith who trusted God to enable them to do the impossible. Leaders never stop leading. You know, before Jesus left the earth, he instituted something that we call the Lord's Supper. We're going to be able to do that today. As you came in, you should have been given one of these packets, and we had them at all our entrances. And if you need one, in a few minutes, raise your hand, and some of our ushers will give them to you. But in a few minutes, we're going to have a time of Lord's Supper. God has given the church two ordinances, baptism, by which we join God's church. We enter into membership of God's church by professing our faith, the symbolism in that. Then he's given us the Lord's Supper we can take periodically throughout the year. Some churches do it every week, and that's fine as well. But the importance of the Lord's Supper, or some people call it communion or what have you, is for us to look at our own lives, to turn from our own sins and renew our faith in Jesus. As we continue to start coming out of the pandemic, as you're getting rid of about 50 of your masks and leaving about three or four, right? As you start getting back into normal, what a great time today to ask the Lord as the Lord's supper time to renew your faith in him. And that so as you continue to lead others, God will see you as faithful. Heavenly Fathers, we prepare for this Lord's Supper. Lord, we do thank you, what you've given for us in Jesus. We do thank you, Lord, that as we get ready to prepare to take this supper, that you would check our hearts and let us check our hearts and let us continue to just search our hearts as we ask you. Lord, as we ask you to make us faithful, make us obedient, we would do so today. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.